On this week's episode of the Sixers Beat, we will talk about the team's struggles on the defensive side of the court. Also talk about the team's new switch-heavy scheme and how much that could be contributing to those struggles. We'll talk about Markel Fultz's play, focusing in on his defensive lapses and his offensive fit with Ben Simmons. And we'll talk about what the team can do to get themselves back on track. As always, if you can, please do leave us a rating or review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. That does help us, and we do appreciate it. This week's episode is brought to you by DraftKings, home of one-day fantasy basketball. Head on over to DraftKings.com, use promo code SIXERS to play for free with your first deposit and put your basketball knowledge to the test. And with all that out of the way, on to the show. All right, welcome everybody. We're trying this again. This is Derek Bodner along with Rich Hoffman and Mike O'Connor of The Athletic. How are you guys doing? You know, We're good. a little, little bit of technical difficulties. You, a had, bit of a... you had that pause before you answered, and I almost lost my shit. I almost <laughs> lost my shit. For those who don't know, we just got 15 minutes into the podcast. Had some technical difficulties on some software we are trying out uh, that did not go as planned. So we are re-recording this. But we will make the most of it. In all honesty, it was a pretty pretty bad podcast anyway, so we can't do much worse. Like like the Sixers, we are uh, we're trying to sacrifice some short term pain for some long term gain. But it was uh, it's been a rough half an hour here. <laughs> Great I, segue right there. I Great cannot segue. I cannot Thank remember you. the last time we actually lost audio on this podcast. That's the first time that's happened in probably two years. Uh, but like I said, at least it wasn't good content that we lost. So the Sixers, sitting here at 2-3 and three on the season. And I think when we sat down and we looked at the team over the last couple of days where they had off, the thing that jumped out to a lot of us, you know, we focus a lot on Markel Fultz. We focus a lot on him returning back to the form that saw him become the number one pick in the draft, that saw them give up another first-round draft pick, another high first-round draft pick to go up and get. But a lot of that, I think what has, it's kind of masked maybe some of the defensive concerns on that side of the ball. And one of the justifications that we use, look, we know Simmons and, and, and Fultz aren't a natural fit offensively, but we have a lot more length, a lot more athleticism on the perimeter. So far, that hasn't really come out to be true. And the Sixers rank, I think it was 18th off, or defensively in the league. They've had a couple games now in a row where they've been burned both in individual matchups and in the rotations. And I guess we'll start off on that side of the court. What's the, the biggest concern and the biggest takeaway for their defensive struggles? And how much of that do you think is a long-term issue? I think that the big, like the biggest concern that jumps out is, like, obviously, like, obviously anytime you're making a major scheme adjustment, you're going to see some challenges, but they have messed up some of the simplest stuff, like the simplest switches. They're not on the same page. Um, and as we've talked about plenty of times, they're so, they're so mixed up right now that it's hard to honestly see what their rules are and see what is the, the, the dictating factor for what constitutes a switch. Um, they're just, they're messing up the simplest stuff and the complex stuff. So, it's just bad all around, but they, they just need to build the basic basic chemistry that comes with that new scheme. 
they seem to go hard in practice today too. Um, that's my take uh, from the other side of the glass. It seems like they were scrimmaging pretty hard and trying to iron out some of these things. And yeah, I, you know, there's a few things. One, I think you know we saw the other night. By the way, Brooke Lopez, what? It's so jarring. I, I know he kind of has gradually moved here. Watching him pull from 30 feet, like not really on balance. That's a that's a trip, man. I, uh, that that's crazy. And you know, as good as Embiid is, I think dealing with those stretch fives is still going to be something that's going to give the Sixers a little trouble. That's more of a long term issue. Like Mike said, the switching is uh, it's just been the communication just hasn't been there. That is something I think I think they're going to figure out at some point. I trust. Brett Brown, I trust Embiid, I trust Simmons, I trust Covington, I, I trust Reddick. There's enough people here that the infrastructure should work out over time. And then the last one, it's it's funny, we were kind of looking at this earlier. They, one of the, I mean, on offense, the thing that everybody pointed to that they did poorly was they turned the ball over a lot. On defense, the only thing they did poorly was they fouled. I think they were 28th in free throw rate given up. They are fourth right now, and it, it's funny. Watching Markel Fultz, who has not played good defense at all, it just seems like he's you know he's kind of got his hands off players, and he's it seems like he doesn't want to foul people. And, you know, I'm not saying, like, they need to start hacking the shit out of teams again, but a little more physicality, I think, would help basically up and down the roster because they're not, uh, they're not guarding their men one-on-one, and that's uh, – that's a little bit concerning. I don't really know what to make of that. Yeah, in a, in a podcast a long time ago, a long-lost podcast, um, we did mention the fact that their turnover rate, their ninth ninth best in taking care of the basketball in this team has been 30th in the league for pretty much as long as we've been covering it, and they're fourth in, in, in not fouling. Although I will say one thing, really the only one who's fouling at a consistent rate is Markel Fultz. He is averaging about three and a half fouls per game. Well, he, he's fouling. He's fouling guys though after they get all the way to the rim, right? You know, right. like maybe a little more resistance at the point of attack, Markel. How about that? Yeah, no. He <laughs> Ishmith Ishmith really took him to school the other night. Um, and and another 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 thing we mentioned in the podcast, which will be lost, um, for eternity. You know, there was a lot of complaint about Brett Brown going to T.J. McConnell there, in against the Pistons. And look, I probably would have brought Markel back too. He was playing well enough offensively that I think he'd give him a chance to succeed there in that moment. But he was taken off the floor because he could not stop Ish Smith to start that fourth quarter. He was playing a really bad point of attack defense, like Rich was saying. So I understood why Brown wanted to go in a different direction. Could he have gotten a minute or two to see if he could come back in and change the complexion of the game? Sure. But I think, I think if you're going to look for why he sat, it was on that defensive side of the court. And I think Mike had a, a pretty good article today. Pretty good. You know, not great, but pretty good. Um, where he was, he pointed out a lot of the miscommunication issues that they have and a lot of the, the one-on-one issues, because I think that's something where as we talk about this new scheme and as we talk about how they've struggled to implement the new scheme, and look, switching isn't the most complicated. Like, this isn't a new strategy in the NBA. They should be able to get this down. It's much more, you know, communication and uh, everyone on the same page on what triggers a switch than it is anything really complex. But as much as we focus on that because it's new, because it's something they didn't really do quite as much of in the last few years, you know, they're getting beat one-on-one too. 
whether that's Blake Griffin on Dario Saric, whether that's Giannis on pretty much anyone who tried to defend him the other night, whether that's Ish Smith. And turning Ish Smith into a, a real weapon is not great for your overall chances of success. But they did that. And, and Markel's been beat a lot one-on-one too. So you've got a lot of players right now, and even, even your better players aren't playing up to their level in, in Covington and Simmons. So you've got, you've got miscommunication. You've got a little uncertainty. And you've got a lot of players right now who just aren't playing up to their potential. And they, they haven't, you know, offense or defense has been the one thing that they've been able to rely upon pretty much ever since Joel Embiid stepped foot on a basketball court. And they haven't had that yet at times this year. Yeah. Um, going back to, going back to Markel. Like I said this on the other pod, but he he has racked up a bad list of names of people Wait, who have, you have another pod. <laughs> yeah, my other podcast. Uh, but yeah, the, the guys the guys that have beat Markel easily are not a great list of names. It's like DJ Augustine and Malcolm Brogdon and Ish Smith like have had no trouble with Markel. I mean, he, his defense has just been. A disaster on and off the ball, like a complete disaster. He he spaces out off the ball, on the ball. He doesn't play out of his stance. He's not shuffling his feet. His first slide isn't quick at all, trying to cut off angles. It's just like you can't find anything positive to say about it. It's been so bad. And for somebody that's trying to figure things out on offense, you have to get more out of him on defense. And I don't know, I don't know what is getting in the way there. Like. I, something I thought about before the year was a guy like DeJounte Murray, who went to Washington, was not a good defender at Washington and became a very good defender with Spurs. Um, and, and you figure maybe like he had bad coaching uh, at Washington or he didn't feel obligated, but with great coaching and the responsibility, he learned it. And we, I mean, I don't know why that's not happening with Markel. I mean, that, that kind of leads you to believe that it's just sort of not in his Make up to be a tenacious defender who's really into the subtleties of, of defense, and maybe that's just how he is. I think JJ Redick had a pretty good quote today at practice, describing you know the Sixers' current struggles and this new NBA where teams are pushing the pace. Like I mean, we really haven't seen before. Just like just reading the box scores every morning are crazy. Like you're. you're you're just I'm scrolling ESPN every morning and it's like, wait, does that say one forty nine, one twenty nine in regulation? Is that is that right? Uh he had a good quote though. He basically was like, you know, I think offenses are getting smarter and defenses are getting dumber. And I think he was kind of mentioning that, that the Sixers haven't really played smart defense so far. Yeah, and as far as Markel, it it's a decent reminder that coming out of Washington, this was the knock on him was his defense. You know, he, they weren't a good team. And I think a lot of us at the time said, well, it's because they have bad players, but he contributed on the defensive end <laughs> to them being a bad team. And now, you know, after everything he's gone through over the past year, you kind of forgot that. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's bad. Some of those Brogdon drives, drives the other night were just so slow, and he was getting by him. Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah, it's bad. I, you know, it's uh, it's contributing to it. It's you know, and it's funny. I think before the year, if we would have said they were 19th in offense through five games, even with you know Markel being certainly a drag on that starting unit, 
the Sixers probably would have taken it, but they do need to get the defense fixed because that's what they bank on. Yeah, and look, it, it's you try to remain optimistic with Markell on this side of the court because he does have the size and you know he does have some quickness. So I, I think Mike's point about stance is a, is a key one, and that's really the key takeaway with defense. You can make a great chase down block, but defense is so much about attention to detail. And you see guys with tools all the time who don't translate. And Markell certainly didn't translate as a defender in college. You hope that Brett Brown, you know, then again, Ben Simmons didn't translate in college either. And Brett Brown got through to him. And you just hope that he picks up some of the, you know, nuances and the intricacies and the technique to become a good defender. Because right now he, he hasn't been. And for as much as we talk about the offensive fit, and we will talk about the offensive fit. He needs to if he's if he if the Sixers are really going to withstand him being in the starting lineup and playing twenty five plus minutes per night, he has to become a contributor on on that, and he he just has to. And it's a tough ask for a twenty year old guard who has pretty much no experience. Like there, there is a lot that he has to learn. But the first the first two weeks of the season have not been kind in that regard for sure. Yeah, um, and as we mentioned, he's not the only problem, and they've had the. The scheme issues, but um, I think we—I honestly forget if it was this pot or the one we did earlier. But uh, we brought up Dario, and he's just had so much trouble defending. Like Blake Griffin just absolutely torched him the other night, and same thing with whenever he was switched on to Giannis or Chris Middleton. Like they completely had their way, and and it's a it's a harsh reminder that Dario is like a complete one position defender. And even within that position, he can't defend guys who are very dynamic. It's it's really something that should be discussed more when you talk about, uh, you know, this team's issues going forward. Yeah, some of those Blake shots were ridiculous, though. Like, yeah. when Dario was playing off him and Blake was shooting step-back threes, kind of felt bad for him. I was like, <laughs> I, would, I would give up that shot, too. Uh but yeah, Blake, you know, there was, I mean, he scored 50 points. There was more than a few times when, uh, when he kind of just spun around Dario easily for a bucket. I thought it was pretty interesting that Simmons, after that Milwaukee game, said that he should have been guarding Giannis right away. And if you looked at the stats, I think you tweeted them out there. Giannis didn't have a ton of success against Simmons, certainly much less success than he did against the rest of the Sixers. Uh, it's just it's hard to put Dario, you know. I don't know where you stick him then, you know. Like if you're gonna hide Fultz on Brogdon, it's like, are you gonna put him on Eric Bledsoe? That's probably not gonna go great. So, you know, for such a good defense, the Sixers uh, certainly have some matchup questions they're gonna have to answer here. Yeah, and I mean, look, they they had to answer a lot of these questions last year too, and they they for the most part found a way. Like, I do think once they stop getting exposed with some of these rotations, once they stop, you know, they bring Fultz up to speed and he's more of a contributor on that end rather than a a complete liability. You know, I think dealing with a Dario or dealing with a Redick, who you have to work to hide, becomes a lot easier. And they're just, they're they're fighting too many battles right now that they can't win. But I do think this is a relatively short, like, we, we all expected them to be a top three defensive team in the league this year. I still expect them to get up near the top. Yeah, I think they're going to be, you know, maybe three. Being top three, that's tough. Sorry. That's tough. Yeah, and I still think they certainly could, but if they're not in like the top five or six, I'd still be surprised at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that 
one thing that uh, kind of gives you some pause is that, you know, Embiid is obviously still struggling with those five-out lineups. And the other night, like like you said, Brooke Lopez just hitting basically off-balance threes is, I mean, that's just the league these days. You, you're, you're hard, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that doesn't have uh, a stretch five or somebody that can play stretch five somewhere on the roster. Um, so that, that, that is definitely a concern going forward. Yeah, I mean, he struggled with Lucevic, too. Yeah. They didn't play good defense that night. They played good offense, but uh, that's something he's going to have to figure out. And I think it was like you said, I still have no idea what the hell their new scheme is that they talk about. They they switch more, but, yeah. They brought it up so many times. Yeah, the whole thing with Joel, he keeps saying that, like, he's supposed to cover the rim no matter what. And, like, every time there's – Every time there's a stretch five on the perimeter, like he's supposed to stay at the rim, and it's like I'm I don't see that at all. That translated to chasing J- Jason Tatum uh, in the first game, right? Yeah, Derek, you tweeted that stat about all the wide open threes they're giving. I think they're like third in the league in that, yeah. in the to the bad. That I, I I would imagine a lot of those are just Embiid going for a block and then kicking it out to his man who's wide the f open. Yeah, no, that, that certainly plays a part. Some of them are are threes that they're conceding, but um, yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's it's, and I mean part of it's probably dribble penetration too. Like there's probably a whole host of things. I think the thing I keep going back to is they're not giving up all that many points in transition. So if they're playing half court defense to this level right now, if those turnover problems come back to where they typically have been then this this could be a, a even more of a continued struggle. So they have some things to tighten up, that is for damn sure. Yeah. I, I'm still just confident in the in the infrastructure. But uh it's wait, hard. Wait, real, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's hard not to have a really good defense around Joel Embiid. Like if you if you start the season with Embiid, Sims and Covington, you better have a pretty good defense. It might not be dominant like last year, but it better be pretty good. Yeah. Uh and back to the point about the Detroit game. The uh, you know, I think initially people were like, "Why was TJ in?" And I, to be clear, I would have played Markel in that moment because it's more of a long-term play, and he was going pretty well offensively. Certainly looked the best that he has all season so far, and I thought it was just a good spot to try and give him, you know, important minutes and see if he can help you there. Uh, I think a lot of people were like, "Well, TJ was getting smoked by Ishmith." No, Markel was the one who was getting yeah. really smoked by. Smith. Uh, so when Brett said, you know, and that, that was notable that he was like, he's more of a defensive type player. I, I think he, you know, that was his way of saying, like, he got he got smoked by this guy, and, you know, I don't trust him in those moments. Uh, so that'll be uh, the little dance with Markel and how, how to treat him. Is They do not seem like they have a full-time answer for that by any means. They don't. They definitely don't. No. Okay, so let's Let's transition over to Markel's offense for a bit. But before we do that, a quick word from Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, cryptocurrencies, and ETFs, and do so all commission-free. Robinhood strives to make financial services for everyone, not just the wealthy, having developed a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and with true confidence, with a simple intuitive, and clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest manner. Having tried a number of different trading platforms in the past, the part that blew me away with Robinhood was, was the design of the app. Data can be overwhelming, 
and data pre presentation is key in making informed decisions, and Robinhood does this better than any app I've previously tried. Robinhood's web platform also lets you view stock collections, so you can zoom in on the most popular stocks or search in sectors like entertainment, social media, or the like. With Robinhood, you learn by doing, as you can discover new stocks and track favorite companies with your own personalized news feed and create custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Best of all, while other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade stocks and keep all your profits. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at sixers.robinhood.com. That's S-I-X-E-R-S dot Robinhood dot com. Okay, Markel's often. What have you seen? What are your concerns? What are your hopes and dreams? Um, you know what? I, I was thinking about this yesterday. His, his form, like just in terms of form, is further along than I thought it would be. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it looks better than I thought it would coming into the season. Maybe I just had low expectations, but I think the form, some of, you're at a point where some of his pull-ups, if you saw them 15 months ago, you wouldn't you bat an eye. Yeah, no, the... Off the dribble, certainly. Off the catch, I think, can still sometimes be a little bit of a fight. But pull-up-wise, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, but the thing is that he just has to be, like, ten times as willing to shoot. Um, because that's, like I said, I said this in report cards, but that's where he provides value is, like, the tough self-created shots. Like, if he's not that, I don't know what he is. Um, but just in terms of where his form is right now, like, I think his form is almost as good as, like, DeLon Wright. Like, he could be a DeLon Wright-level shooter if he just has more willingness to shoot. I mean, I think that's just obviously the biggest thing that, that has to increase, and there's obviously no way of predicting if it will. Have you guys been concerned by that finishing? Yes. I have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's just like when he's in transition, I know he wasn't an amazing finisher in college, but... When he gets out in transition, like one-on-one -on -one against a big guy kind of backpedaling, more times than not, he's not making that shot now. And you would think, like, God, like, put a spin move on these guys or something. But it's just uh, a lot of times it's kind of this, like, you know, he's kind of, like, fading to his right, trying to shoot almost like a half hook over these guys. And it's uh, it's not going in, and that's you know, that kind of exacerbates the problems. I uh you know the the numbers are the numbers. He's uh, it, it, it's pretty stark uh, the difference between him and Redick in the starting lineup. Uh, yeah, you know it's uh, it's been about the struggle that I expected. Even though I do agree with Mike that like on twelve like twelve foot to like fifteen foot pull ups, his form doesn't look too bad. Yeah, I think his college numbers at the room weren't great. I think they were right around sixty percent, and. It, those numbers typically don't get better in the NBA. But you looked at him and you said, okay, well, he's not an explosive, like he's not going to rise up over you and dunk on you. He's not, you know, Russell Westbrook. But he has pretty good body control and pretty good touch. And, you know, get spacing around him, put him on NBA, on NBA floor with NBA spacing, and, and he should be able to, to at least convert at a, a solid rate. And so far, I think he's at right around mid-50s at the rim which is nowhere near great, 54.5% zero to three feet. Um, that obviously includes transi transition opportunities as well. You know, I will say 
that number, you go back and you look at the history of point guards, that number is almost always the one that even the great finishers start off and they struggle with. So I think it's more that he doesn't look all that athletic or explosive that concerns me more than that number. But he certainly hasn't looked like he's um, really going to rectify that anytime soon. And then he looked at the pull-up numbers. You know, off the pick and roll, he was shooting 47.1%, which was pretty good, actually. Um, there are 47 ball handlers who have used at least 20 pick and roll possessions. 47.1% ranks 15th on all the shots that came out of that, which is pretty good. But when you start looking at the points per possession, you know, he hasn't made a three off a of pick and roll yet. He hasn't got drawn a shooting foul yet off a of pick and roll. So when you look at points per possession, he drops all the way down to 34th out of, out of 47. And you look at the shooting percentage, I think a lot of that is those are the shots that teams are getting. I think all those numbers are because that's what teams are giving him. You know, he's not getting the free throw line in part because nobody's really playing up on him. But he's also able to make a higher percentage of the looks in part because teams are so willing to concede that 15-footer to him. And that really is where he looks most confident, confident and comfortable is right around that foul line area. You know, playing off the ball so far has just been a disaster. And, I mean, that, even when Markel was at 100%, and even though he looks maybe better form-wise than we would have expected, he's not at 100% yet. But even when he was confident Markel Fultz at Washington, we knew that that transition to playing off ball with Simmons was going to be a, a, a struggle. And so far, it's been much more than that. I mean, it, it, realistically, if you're if it was a playoffs right now, I couldn't see how they would play those two a single minute together. It's just, it, it's been that bad. But you obviously want to grow that. You want to give it some time. I do wonder how, you know, how long that is going to be. But it has been, it has been way more than struggle. He just, he looks passive off the ball. His teammates don't necessarily look like they have confidence in him off the ball. And you're playing four on five way more than you should. Yeah, I, I've talked to a couple people about this, but I feel like, I feel like there's some part of him where like all of his basketball instincts have sort of abandoned him in one way or another. Like it's just when you guys are talking about the finishing, and I think that he there's just so much more he can do as a finisher. Like get into somebody's body and like and like give a little chicken wing, like push a big man off of you and fade back and try and hit one off the glass. Like get creative, just like get into the body of big men and 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 that sort of thing. Like I don't understand why. He's been passive around the rim. Like he's he's not even attempting to rise up and try to finish. Um, it, it, and again, like like I said, it just kind of feels like his instincts aren't there. Like they've they've kind of abandoned him. But uh, yeah, in terms of Ben and Markel, like there, I, you know what's interesting is I have noticed that there are times where you're like, okay, having some more ball handling on the court like actually helps. Like there have been times in transition where Ben kicks the ball up to Markel and he is able to dribble down and get a layup or a dunk. You're like, okay, like JJ couldn't do that. I see how there's a possible benefit to having more ball handling on the floor. But when he when he's shooting at the level that he is right now, when he's defending at the level he is right now, and when his, his instincts in getting to the rim aren't quite there, it's really been a disaster. Throw up a floater every once in a while, too, if you yeah, can't like get all anything. the way to the rim. Just mix it up, right? You know, that it's going to help you in the long term if, you know, the big man or whoever's guarding you is not sure what you're going to do. I I think one uh, area of worry, and, you know, we talked about how they are taking care of the ball and that 
by the way, everybody who loses their mind about turnovers, it's not the be all end all. Um, a no. lot of years, the teams that finish top in, uh, taking care of the ball, those Doug Collins type offenses are not very good. Brett uh, the other day was practically begging Markel to turn the ball over. He's like, please take a risk. And if that yeah. leads to a turnover, so be it. I love that he said that too. He's like, look, it's, hey, you know, I love taking care of the ball as much as the next guy, but if you're not trying to create these high quality plays that you are theoretically capable of, like, what are we really doing here? Brett, uh, I, or, uh, one, I've seen my mentions. I don't think you care as much about turnovers as the next guy. I'm going to. That was such a sticking point for so long last year that I'm guessing yeah, you probably guess, care less. Yeah. People, yeah, people just lose people their minds. Their mind. the yep. uh, yeah. So one thing I would say that I'm a little concerned about is you are taking care of the ball. Embiid and Redick have been about as good as they can be. Yeah. And you're still only 17th in offense, which is like – Look, it's you know, it's like you said, Derek. This is not uh, what they're going to be the entire year. Year, it's just kind of what they've been so far. When when you look at these numbers, um, but those two have just been dynamite, and you know, we we just saw today Embiid rolled his ankle. I don't think anybody really has any any word on how serious that is. You know, he's listed as questionable tomorrow, so maybe maybe that's a good sign, but. You know, I'm hesitant to even say that when it comes to Joel Embiid's feet. You know, we'll see what it's like. But those guys have been really damn good offensively. And shit, I mean, if they weren't awesome against Orlando, you're staring at one and four right now. So, you know, there's there's a lot of work to be done uh, with this with this group. I'm it, I'm a little worried how much people are saying. Well, just wait till they get Wilson Chandler back. <laughs> but I do think he's going to help. He will help, Because, yeah. like, he, I was thinking about this the other night when uh, that Detroit game, which was, by the way, like, I think some of that, you know, Detroit, they didn't defend well at all. Dario got absolutely roasted by Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin needed to score 50 points and play out of his freaking mind to beat you on the road without Ben Simmons. Um you know, sometimes it's like shit just happens. Uh, but the the one area I noticed on that last play when he had a mirror in the game at the end, and that I think that was probably a mistake. Uh, yeah, I think we can classify that one in the mistake column. Yeah, yeah, but but, but the other on the other hand, like, who are you going to put in for him? You know, like, are you going to put JJ in because if they, you know, if JJ's guarding Reggie Bullock, and you're going to play a switching defense, like Blake's just going to bully him. Uh, his good buddy all the way to the rim. I don't know. But the point is, if you have Wilson Chandler and Ben Simmons yeah. in that situation, they're both playing and they're both able to execute a switching defense at the end. So he should help a little bit, a little more Mike Muscala. He hasn't been great, but can theoretically play. The one, and this is kind of a minor thing, I'd like to see Mike Muscala take Amir Johnson's backup five minutes Yeah, when, when Chandler comes back. I have... You know, hopefully Amir doesn't search. Uh, <laughs> he can't search uh, his name when I'm talking about him on a podcast. I'll make sure I put great, him in the podcast description just for you, Rich. Just for you. Great dude. Um, played well for the Sixers last year. They're just like I, I think you had a stat today, Derek. They're just not protecting the rim when he's in the game. 
It's bad. Yeah, no, he's. I mean, he he's had like a little bit of a, a offensive renaissance here. Like he's playing pretty, and he somehow he's been pulling out these highlight dunks once a game that I had no idea he has. I didn't know Amir could do that ten years ago, and he's been doing that on the regular now. But defensively, he's just been a disaster. And that, quite frankly, I think we were, in terms of Sixers, you know, media and Sixers fans, we were probably on the pro Amir side last year. But he has not been good defensively so far this year. Um, Dario has not been good defensively. Markel, we talked about quite a bit. Um, they just, I mean, you brought up a fair point. Like, they don't have very many switchable wings right now. So there's just not that many players. Like, what are you going to do? Bring in Landry Shamit for a defensive stop? Like, your options were certainly limited. Um, I will give you that. But it has been, uh, yeah, we'll see. And I mean, look, like you said, Embiid. 29.6 points, 12.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 2.4 blocks. And here's the key one. Two turnovers, turnovers. per game. Holy shit. Um, I think his his turnover rate, which, you know, two years ago, we're talking about an 18% turnover rate as a rookie. 15.6% last year. 7.3% this year. So he's really cut down on those turnovers. And then Redick. 21.2 points, 44% from the field, 43% from three. Which, again, when Vegas set that 41.5 over-under on three-pointers, I didn't get that at the time. It's certainly looking looking like a good start so far. He's been fantastic, playing more minutes per game now than he did last year. Uh, I think this would be the highest minute total of his career, actually, uh, which he didn't expect when he came off the bench, but here we are. Although he's starting every second half, so I guess that cancels that out a little bit. He's been fantastic, but Dario just struggling, struggling mightily. Cub didn't play a good game the other day. And you've got someone in the folds right now who is either completely passive and playing four on five off the ball, or he's playing the most inefficient brand of basketball when he's on the ball. And look, I can we can all sit here and say we want to see Markel take those 15-foot pull-up jumpers. We want to see him coming off the pick and roll and showing what he showed at Washington. And I, I believe that. I do want to see that. But that's more for what it can bring in the future and how he can evolve that into being the confident player he once was than it is saying that that is efficient winning basketball right now. It's not. And especially when you're not making threes, you're not getting the free throw line. He's going to have a real hard, you know, 47% isn't going to cut it on mid-range shots. He's going to have to keep shooting. Um, so it's been a struggle. But you just hope, it's a scary thing for me. And I think, again, I think I think Dario will turn around. I think they'll turn around their defense. Um, I think Wilson Chandler will help. The scary thing for me is, can Embiid really play this well the entire season? Like, can he really average 30 a night and only, only turn it over twice a game? Like, it seems a little bit unsustainable, even for someone who I think we all took the over-under on his points. There does, you know, you're going to have some periods of time where Embiid's going to struggle. And right now, I don't know how this team combats that. Yeah, I mean, Joel does look incredible, though. Um and I've, I've been working on a piece about him, but I mean, some of the stuff he's doing, like driving from the perimeter and getting to his pull up, and he, he's hit more, I, I tweeted this, but he's hit more heavy pull ups than Fultz has this year. Uh, and he's, he's hitting step backs, like all this stuff. I mean, you can just really tell that offseason work is paying off. Um, I don't know. I, I, I do think he can kind of sustain it. Like that night in Milwaukee, I felt like he played terrible and he had 30 and 19 and six. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's just one of those players who just dominates with his sheer presence. 
I um, certainly expect at the end of the year he'll be averaging 25 plus points per game. Like don't don't misinterpret that to thinking I think he's going to struggle. It's just he will hit periods of the year where he's not going to be able to sustain that night in and night out. Right, and I do think that turnovers will probably go up. Yeah. They kind of have to. There's no evidence of Joel Embiid being this good with the ball. He's only had one WTF turnover, I think, in the past four games. Like one one where he just tosses the ball into the third row. That's amazing, man. The first year he was doing that twice a night. Um, He's been – he just looks fantastic. And, you know, to do it with all the attention, like it's funny when you just like paused it on one of his post-ups. He didn't have a great game against Milwaukee. His – uh. His stats at the end of the night were pretty good, which is, a, I guess, a testament to him. But, my God, he got the ball in the post. Like, every set of eyes was on him. And, you know, they, they were looking to double and dig down and scrape. And he's just been uh, he's just been awesome. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think he's, you know, maybe he's not this good. But he's, uh, as long as that ankle's okay and he, uh, he, can, uh, he can stay in one piece, he's going to be pretty damn good this year. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I expect I, I expect a good scoring year out of him. I just worry what's going to happen when those inevitable slumps do hit. Okay, let's talk about the team's upcoming schedule real quick. But before we do that, a word from Lightstream. If you're like most Americans, you have a balance on your credit cards and probably at a higher interest rate than you would like. Why not turn those balances into one monthly payment and at a lower fixed interest rate and start saving money? If this applies to you, be sure to pay attention to this next segment. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 6.14% APR with AutoPay, which is significantly lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 18% APR. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate with no fees attached. Get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your funds the same day that you apply. Guys, I've gone through this process myself, and let me tell you how quick, easy, and painless the application process was. This is a flexible loan at a great rate that's hassle-free to apply for. Our listeners will even get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Sixers. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Sixers. This offer is subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit Lightstream.com slash Sixers for more information. Okay, the upcoming schedule. Charlotte, Atlanta, Toronto, Clippers, Detroit. Some winnable games for sure. Uh, four out of five at home. What do you think is the biggest thing they have to do in order to turn this around? Um, Playing play the Hawks helps. Defense, you know? <laughs> Playing the Hawks helps. Yeah, I mean, not trip over each other every time there's a switch. Uh they need to figure out what their rules are, what their concepts are, and stick by them because they've been terrible with them. Uh, that and Dario Sarge needs to shoot better, and Markel can shoot better. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think it's worth overreacting. Yeah, Embiid could be better too. No, I mean, like I said, these, these games, two of the losses I think I would have penciled in at the beginning of the year, and then the other one Ben Simmons was out for. So we sit here and we hope that a rolled ankle for Joel Embiid is really just a rolled ankle. And I don't remember which podcast we we said it on, but it's worth noting that Ben Simmons 
Jones' fracture was originally a rolled ankle, so you hope that's not the case this time. We certainly have no reason to believe right now that it is. But you don't like seeing a you know, 7'2", 280-pound human being roll his ankle. So, so we'll see about that and hope for the best. If he does miss time, that's going to be, um, we could be looking at a, a, a tough start to the season. They do have a bunch of winnable games coming up. Defense is going to be where they're going to make their headway. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, to me, as much as we focus on defense, all eyes are still going to be on Markel and figuring out that situation and how long until Brett Brown blinks and is going to prioritize winning, How whether we're not going to have more nights like Detroit or Markel sits down in a stretch, how much confidence Brett Brown has in his young point guard. Because I think I think you're right. It's a weird situation to be in where we're sitting here saying, okay, the jumper looks probably, at least the mid-range, better than we would have expected. But he still doesn't seem really playable. And you hope that uh, you hope that changes. And again, I want to clarify because someone's going to kill me. I'm not saying don't play him. When I, um, I'm saying specifically Simmons and Fultz together have, have looked unplayable. Is this the point in the podcast where I say they shouldn't have traded Justin Anderson? Oh, is this when is, it, is this when we take that out of the oven? Were you really a Justin Anderson stan? I didn't. I didn't know. That. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I'm I'm half joking, but it is it is kind of ridiculous that like you watch Furkan Korkmaz get bulldozed by Giannis, and you're like, I don't understand why this team doesn't have more wing defenders. I'm not saying Justin Anderson is the, is the answer to that, but I'm it, if there is one like structural concern that stood out in these four or five games. It's been like, wow, I, I, I wish this team had more versatile defenders on the perimeter. Yeah, and that's part uh that's part the front office not you know, not managing the back end of the roster and some of their their lower assets as well as they probably should have, and that's part them punting on uh on free agency and sticking to one year deals. Um you know, because you have a team like Milwaukee who's basically they're up against the cap, and if they want to bring back Middleton, it's going to be really hard for them to add to that roster. But the Sixers don't have, uh, you know, with all these one-year deals they've signed, you know, especially with Chandler out, they do not have the versatile wing defenders that a lot of these teams in the, I mean, Boston, Toronto, and Milwaukee seem to have. So they're going to have to try and win a different way. Yeah, and I mean, that's where the... I mean, you, you don't want to say that a 24th pick in the draft or whatever hurts, but like you would have liked, you would have liked Luau. Josh, Josh Hart would look really good. In Josh Hart would look right real good in a Sixers uniform. That is for damn sure. It really is a huge like they have to. And look, I was I was on board with one year deals. Make yourself a destination. Try to strike in free agency. Like it's so pe- people will say, oh, you can't rely on free agency to build a team. And then in the same breath, they'll praise Boston. And it's like, well, look at where Boston got a lot of their pieces from. You know, so I think it makes sense to make yourself attractive. You have very few opportunities where you can really be a player in free agency. I was on board with the, uh, on board with that strategy. I was okay with that. It has certainly left them in a weaker position to compete this year. And it's a little bit different because quite frankly, I think when I set out on the strategy, I wasn't expecting to be looking at this in the context of can they win a an Eastern Conference title. 
But this summer coming up is huge. It is absolutely enormous. Being the last year that you're going to have money, being the last year where a lot of these, you know, you're really going to have the chance to trade for a guy um, because you have so much flexibility and salary cap and, and, and still having that future draft pick, although a little less valuable future draft pick for the, uh, for the, for the heat. They, it's, it's, it's a Elton brand better learn quickly. He better learn quickly. That's for sure. That's for sure. It really, I hate, I hate talking about this, but that trade, look at where the, the assets that they inherited and the assets they're at now, it is astronomical how much more difficult it would be to make a trade of consequence to bring in, to bring in the, you know, the, the, the third missing piece um, going from that third pick in 2017, that Kings pick and that Lakers pick to have that basically now be Markel Fultz, who might have a lot of potential potential, but isn't a real trade ship right now. Uh, the what Zaire Smith, the future Miami pick. And that's it. That's all you got. That's all you got out of that. It's been a, you know, if you're looking to trade for Anthony Davis, it's a lot, hell of a lot harder now. All right, that's it. Time to cut this off. Thanks for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man. See ya. Check 